when I read through 1 John, there's a number of things that I'm reminded of. I think, first of all, is that the love that God gives is something that I needed. It was something that I didn't know where to find, and I was never satisfied with anything that I tried to put in my life. Anything that someone would say would cause me to be happy or fulfilled. Anything that would cause me to, you know, have a sense of satisfaction or accomplishment. All pale in comparison to the love that God has demonstrated towards us all. I, I, I think of some of the things that I've been privileged to do and some of the places I've, I've gone and people I've met. And I, I think all of that has merit and meaning in my life, but it really has not transformed or changed me. Jesus has transformed and changed me. And so when I, I read through this text, if I get a little emotional this morning, if there's a few times that I have to gather myself, I, I hope you understand that what I'm talking about is not dogma or doctrine or a creed, I am talking about the expression of something that each and every one of us needs. And without it, we just live most of our life looking and longing and searching for something that only God can supply. And I, I know what it's like to be at the end of myself, and I'm thankful in that place it was the beginning of looking for him. I know what it's like to have the approval of man and have some success and and maybe even, you know, be respected to a degree. But I also know that there was still a hole inside of me that this world couldn't satisfy. It, it wasn't meant to. It's not capable of meeting that hole that was inside of me. That longing, that looking for something that each and every one of us, you know, grapples with. I think life can, can be likened sometimes to a wrestling match, and, and we wrestle with our choices, wrestle with the path that we're on or the career that we've chosen or the people that we call, you know, our peeps and all of these other things. And, and because we know that there's more to life than just the here and now. Scripture says that God has placed eternity into the heart of everyone. Every one of us understands that while this life is something that we celebrate and, and sometimes we suffer and muddle through in certain seasons, until we, we come to peace with God, until we understand the love that God has for us and we rest in that love, we, we wrestle and we fight and we struggle for our own way, our own rights. We, we sort of, you know, just dig our heels in and get, you know, cantankerous. And, and while, while those are indicators that we're not resting, we still believe that if somehow we get our way, it would satisfy our soul. Somehow we, we feel I don't know if you ever feel this way, like saying I told you so doesn't enrich any relationship. 
And yet somehow we believe that if we're right, that would cause us to be more fulfilled, more respected. And it doesn't. Sometimes it even creates distance in our relationships. So here's some things that I want to draw from, from the text that are so near and dear to all of us who are Christians. In verse 9 it says, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. By faith, God initiated his love through the plan of salvation. God was the initiator. God saw us in the condition that I just described. And each and every one of us, if we're honest, have been there or we potentially are there right now. Looking, longing for acceptance. For someone to love us unconditionally, for someone to believe in us enough that they would take the first step, even when we were repelling them, resisting them, rejecting them, they still pursued us. That, that is something that, that changes our lives. So God initiated his love, how? Through the plan of salvation. It wasn't our plan, it was his plan. It's his plan of salvation. Another way to say that is God was proactive. He chose to save us from our sins. And the text tells us we know that because he did two things. He sent his son and he loved us first. That, that tells me that, that this love that God gives is selfless. It wasn't about God. The plan of salvation wasn't a need that he had. He had no needs. But he came and met us in our lowly state and has met our needs. He initiated something that transformed us. And what motivated him to do it was his unconditional love for us. Something he knew we couldn't find in the law. You, you could be a great law keeper and still be lost. Because if you just breach one law, you're a lawbreaker. And all lawbreakers get punished. All lawbreakers will face judgment. If I was to recite the Ten Commandments, there, there's not one of us in this room that can say I've kept all ten. Not one. I can give you one example. How many of you have ever had an idol in your life? Then you're guilty. You're not guilty of all ten, but you're guilty and your guilt requires judgment. So you can be a great law keeper. I mean, a rule keeper. And, and, but in the end, it doesn't satisfy. Self-righteousness isn't sufficient. Self-righteousness is one of the most repelling character qualities that any human being can have because somehow they're always right. They spin it. They justify it. They rehearse it, why it's okay. They try to convince everybody else it's all right, but it's not. And God looked down in our lowly state and initiated a plan so perfect and so profound. Scripture says that if the forces of darkness had understood 
what his plan was, they would have never hung him on the cross. The enemy thought in ridding the world of Jesus, he would rid the world of God's salvation. And all it did was set it up for the resurrection. And in the resurrection, this great plan of God was consummated and fully completed. So God initiated this plan. The love that God gives is selfless. By faith, God demonstrated his love. Not only did he initiate it, he demonstrated his love. Scripture says, greater love has no one than he laid down his life for his friends. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, I want you to look there for a minute. It says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I, I, I don't use that word in everyday vernacular. I, I, don't, I don't have that one that I draw upon daily when I'm interacting with people. This is such a powerful and significant word that it's, it's placed a half a dozen times within the New Testament. And I want to draw upon this word for a minute because propitiation is something that is so powerful and transforming when you understand it that you begin to understand what God did. When we talk about demonstration, it well, that means he did something. Not only did he initiate the plan and put it all in place, then he followed through and he, and he demonstrated what he was initiating. And it's through the propitiation of Jesus Christ. So the word propitiation denotes that one has made a complete payment satisfactory and sufficient to cover all indebtedness. That the death of Jesus, therefore, fully satisfied the demands of God's righteousness in regards to the sin debt of mankind. Propitiation has, it's, it's one coin with two sides. And here are the two sides of propitiation. It appeases the judgment that is due to all who are guilty of sin. In other words, a life for a life. No exception. That's propitiation. If you're going to satisfy the righteous judgments of God, then we couldn't do it because all of our righteousness was as filthy rags. It took God intervening on our behalf. That's the plan. That's the incarnation. Jesus coming, fully God and fully man, to redeem man back to God, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But in order to do this, he had to give a life to save lives. He had to appease the judgment that was due to all. All of us deserve to die, but Christ stepped into our place and took our punishment. And this appeased the judgment of God towards humanity and this is the first side of the coin of propitiation. The second side of the coin, it means he restores the guilty through that payment, which permits the guilty to be reconciled with no condemnation. So not only did he step in and take the judgment that we had, he shed his own blood and with his own blood, he made the payment 
so that we could be reconciled to God with no guilt. No, he doesn't leverage that in our life. Have you ever had a friend and they've done something for you, then they leverage what they've done? We call it like, you owe me one. Remember the time I did for you? Remember the time I, I stood up for you? Remember the, the way in which no one was believing in you and I believed in you? Jesus doesn't leverage what he did. What he does is sufficient. It covers and satisfies all of the needs that sin created. It reconciles us from that separated condition and it restores us into a relationship with God. So when we read this verse and it tells us that he was the propitiation for our sin, it means he was the one, the only one, no one else was qualified. He's the only one who could do it. And he did. And that's why all glory goes to God. That's why the greatest way that you and I could live our lives is not for ourselves, but for his glory. So God initiated, God demonstrated, and when God demonstrated that, what does that tell us? It tells us that the love that God gives is sacrificial, costly, the life or the blood of his son. And then by faith, God Almighty deposited his love in our spirit through his son. He has invested his love in us. The love of God has been shed abroad. Another translation has says has been poured into our heart. So God initiated the plan. God demonstrated the plan. Then God, in his grace, deposited his grace in us. And it, it made all things new. Sin lost its grip and we became the beloved of God. The almighty God has invested in us. He's put an earnest, scripture says, a down payment in us, his spirit. The love that God has for us has not only been demonstrated, it's now living and working and operative in every one of his children. That's how people know we're his. That's the mark that we belong to Jesus. So when God did these things, he did it all by faith. Because man is given a free will. Man, man can choose to go on whatever road he wants to go on. But not all roads lead to heaven. Not all roads lead to righteousness. Not all roads lead to a soul that's satisfied. Not all roads lead to someone who's free from condemnation. Not all roads lead to a new life. While there were many ro- roads that, that led in the ancient world to cities or traveling destinations just like there are now. How many of you can get to Des Moines at least three or four different ways from here in Knoxville? Easily. If the destination is Des Moines, then pick your route. But if the destination for your life is to be with God the Father for eternity, there's only one way. And God made that way. And God is that way through His Son, Jesus Christ. So the love that God gives 
is selfless, it's sacrificial, and the love that God gives, listen, satisfies every need of the human spirit. I preached a message years ago called, I Found What I'm Looking For. And there's a lot of songs by some tremendous artists that that talk about searching, looking, longing for something and never being able to discover it. And sometimes we sing along. Those songs come on our radio and you might be thinking of one right now. And just the moment that that melody starts to play, you start singing those words in, in your heart. But Jesus is known as the pearl of great price. He's the treasure in the field. And when you have the pearl of great price and when you find the treasure in the field, then you found what you're looking for. The days of looking somewhere else to find acceptance or forgiveness or recognition or affirmation, promotion, they're over. Now, I'm not saying that we're not tempted along those lines. We are. But the moment we start going down that road, it's a dead end. And we know it's a dead end. And we'll say, I'm getting off this. I'm taking the detour back to the main highway, to the right road, to the road that led me to know and understand the love that God has for me. John is known as the beloved disciple. He was the one that sat by the Lord during the Last Supper and put his head upon the Lord's chest, his bosom. So isn't it wonderful that God chose maybe one of the most tender-hearted of the disciples to write about maybe the most impactful message that we need to hear, and that's the message of love. If there was anyone qualified to talk about love outside of Jesus, I would say John would be a good choice. John knew and understood the love that God had for him. And so this love that God gives satisfies the longing soul. We found what we've been looking for. So what's our part? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13 as I I close. Because just as God has done everything by faith, he's called us into this life of faith through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we haven't always lived this life of faith. Is that correct? I haven't. The season I described earlier in today's message was a season that I was into, like, the world and the ways of the world and the flesh and the satisfaction of living according to the flesh. And, and here's what, what I know. It's fun for a while. I mean, it's a pretty good ride for a season until you discover it keeps leaving you empty. It's like what the writer of the book Ecclesiastic says. It's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. If, if you feel like your life is in vain, your labor, your work, everything is in vain, nothing has meaning, nothing matters, then you haven't experienced the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Because when you experience that, then things begin to matter. Choices matter, 
relationships matter, attitudes matter, morals matter, ethics matter, because love is the only thing that can transform the human spirit. It's not, it's not by accident that when the Holy Spirit was inspiring Paul to write to the church and he was sharing with them what the evidence of God's activity is in our life. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. That the first one is love. Most Bible scholars, imagine this, say love is the fruit where all the other fruits come from. I believe that that is a good translation and interpretation of that verse. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And from love comes all the other things that are lovely before the Lord. So if there's something that we have to get right as believers, it's the love of God. Because without it, what you can have is just a bunch of creeds a bunch of beliefs, a bunch of rules that you keep. And you can be great rule keepers. Maybe some of you are 90% and you think you're going to get an A. That doesn't get you into heaven. That doesn't make you right with God. You're still guilty. If you miss it along the way, you've missed it. But God saw us in our lowly state, initiated, demonstrated, then deposited His love, which tells me everything about my Heavenly Father. My Heavenly Father is not into Himself. He's into us. He's not selfless. He's sacrificial in His love. That means He suffers. Walking with mankind is not an easy path for God to take. How many of you struggle with getting along with people. Life would be great if it wasn't for every everybody that, you know, right? And yet God in His own unique way, because of who He is, He is love, doesn't just tolerate us, He pursues us. You know, I, I have people that I sort of put up with. I'm glad that God just doesn't put up with me. I, I mean, there's people that I'm cordial around and, I can't hardly wait not to be around them. Am I the only one that thinks these thoughts or has these attitudes at times, needs adjusted, right? And yet the love of God, the love of God is the only thing that can get my attitude into a healthier place. I have to remember where I was, how far I've come, how patient God has been with me. And then, of course, This love that God gives satisfies. It satisfies our soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So our response should be this. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So let's just camp there for a few seconds and think about that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. 
It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So I said, by faith, God did his part. He initiated, he demonstrated. Is that true? Absolutely. It's all by faith. And God deposited his spirit in our heart by faith. He invested in us, believing in us that we now would respond to this love and that we would let this love that's in us work through us. So it's by faith we do all of this. When I say that I put up with people, I really love people. In my spirit is the love of God. I love people. So what part of me is maybe just tolerating or putting up or sort of going through the the, the cordial manners? Well, that's just old carnal Doug. That's just, you know, old regenerate flesh. But when I, by faith, begin to listen and begin to interact with people, I stop just putting up with them and I begin to understand and appreciate them. And this is the mark of God at work in us and through us. And this is the love that people need to hear and see. So love is patient. Now, I want you just as we close to imagine your Christmas shopping. That's all I have to say. Everything that entails Christmas shopping. All right. So here it goes. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. How many of you have made it to the register so far? (laughs) Walking down the aisles and someone takes the last item and it was on your list. And for the person that you feel obligated to buy for, you're not really quite sure how they got on your list. But somehow they got morphed into your family through a marriage. And so you feel this obligation to buy them a gift once a year. Have you ever had those thoughts? How did you get on my list and why should I buy you anything? That's that's not the love of God. That's not transformational. That's not going to change anybody. The lump of coal and the sticks we long to give certain people isn't the love of God. It's not kind and it's not... Love. All right, here we go. We're still shopping. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. So if you can do it shopping, you can do it anywhere. That's why I use that illustration. Uh, yesterday, as uh, uh, Charlene and I uh, were doing some activities in the evening, we were talking with another couple, and uh, they... They had explained their day at Jordan Creek Mall. And it wasn't like we had the time of our life. They weren't singing it's the most wonderful time of the year. They, they, um, and I thought to myself, you know, I can identify with that. I understand those emotions, those feelings, those frustrations. But I also know, as I close, is that every single day we get 
to choose our attitude. I get to and you get to. And we get to because the love of God is shed in abroad in our heart. I have something deposited in me that's, that's more powerful, that's more life-changing than anything that's going on around me. And so I want us to remember that the gift that God gives is his only begotten son. And, of course, that's a gift of love. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.
you know, you're in a place where this message is timely for you. And that's because God knows what you need to hear. It's not because I'm all-knowing, all-seeing. It's No, it's because God knew you needed this message today and you need to respond to it. And so we're asking you online to just open up your heart to the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And let's all make this confession together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We know and believe that he's your only begotten son. That you've sent into this world so that we would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. The one who forgives me and the one who guides me. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.